0: chapter twenty nine of the milky way this librivox recording is in the public domain the milky way by f tennyson jesse chapter twenty nine a skeleton out of the cupboard we found the cook door swept and tidied for the night but a waiter laid a dingy cloth over a still dingier deal table and soon we were feasting on steak and onions followed by orange salad. At the end of the meal the waiter approached Chaz and beckoned, saying in a portentous whisper, Madame, désire vous parler, a cause de son bon papa, vous avez? And Chaz, apparently quite understanding, followed him out. When we all reassembled on the pavement, Chaz was carrying a long, oddly irregular package, "'wrapped in an old black-and-red tablecloth. "'At sight of it, Joe exclaimed, "'Good, you've got grandpapa,' "'and proceeded to take hold of one end of the bundle. "'Where's gendarmes?' whispered Chaz "'in a thrilling kind of stage aside. "'There's one coming. "'I hear his horny-handed tread.' "'With mock horror, Chloe sprang in front of the roll of red tablecloth which was now sagging limply between joe and chas like the body of a dead man and her action caught the attention of the passer-by who was not after all a gendarme but one of those lean wiry long-haired individuals who might be student or apache. he slouched forward with a swift panther-like movement and on the instant joe and chas quickened into a run Peter, Chloe, and I acting as escort. There was no question of a race, for not only were two of us burdened, but were shrieking with laughter as well. And the newcomer circled round us for a moment, then broke into the best Montmartre lingo. As far as I could make out, he imagined we were trying to conceal some nefarious deed and was expressing his willingness not to give us away if we let him go shares in the profits. Chaz stopped and proceeded, apparently, to consider the proposition, then shook his head. The apache-like individual grew excited, argued, threatened, and finally, announcing that he was going to tell the police, padded off to do so. Chaz picked up the bundle which this time he carried as though it were an overgrown baby, and we went on. We had only gone about twenty paces when we heard the returning feet of our friend, followed by those of a gendarme. We nipped round into a doorway, and Chaz stood leaning forward with the bundle in front of him, As the footsteps reached the corner, he tore the tablecloth off and thrust a dancing, clattering skeleton into the faces of our pursuers. I shall never forget the effect it had. The apache gave a yell and fled off through the night as though the skeleton were pursuing him. The gendarme jumped, cried out, and then swore long and picturesquely. It was an awkward moment and I, who had once, over some lost property, been involved in the intricacies of a procès verbal, had no wish to be haled off to the police station. As I seemed the only one of us to whom French came easily, I stepped into the breach. This was rendered all the more difficult for me by the fact that I knew nothing about the matter myself. Luckily it did not need much intelligence to tell that, like all new students, Chas was in the throes of anatomy, and had yearned after a skeleton from which to gain first-hand knowledge. Where the grandfather of the Patron of the Coq d'Or came in I couldn't for the life of me see, and so I had to do my best from imagination. "'That is my grandpapa,' I explained to the gendarme. "'Your grandpapa?' But name of a name, do people carry their grandpapas about the streets at night, in nothing but their bones? It is the only wear for the best grandpapas. Besides, you see, it is that we are artists and want to draw him. See his beautiful legs? Must he not have been a fine figure of a man? A peaceable citizen should not flaunt skeletons in other people's faces in the middle of the night persisted the gendarme obstinately. Ah, we have been of a stupidity, I admitted. But what would you? We are English and new to Paris. English! Ah, mad English! exclaimed the gendarme, as though that explained much. Also, I added cunningly, we did not know that you, monsieur, were with that son of a fool who has been annoying us. If my grandpapa has inconvenienced you, I assure you he would be the first to apologize if he only could. As it is, he would be charmed if you would drink his soul's health, and a chink which was not that of dry bones sounded on the night air. And va pour le bon papa, said the gendarme as he took his departure. When we were back home, bon papa and all. I took the others severely to task, pointing out how trying a night at the police station would have been to people who had such a protracted crossing as Peter and myself. Chas, who took all responsibility, was duly penitent between his shrieks of mirth. You see, he explained, I've been wanting a good skeleton and happened to say so at the coke d'or. Madame said they'd had a beauty there for years and it was no good to them. In fact, it languished in the cellar. She seemed vague as to how it got there. But it had been in the house for such ages, and it was always called her grandpapa. I think she'd quite a family feeling for it. But she sold it to me, and here it is. Yes, I echoed, here it is. Joe, I think I want to go to bed. Come along, then. I am indeed ashamed of Chaz, but you've no idea how nice he can be when he's good. After we were in bed and the light was out, Chaz banged at our door on his way up to his attic. What is it? we yelled. Only that I can't settle to sleep for excitement at thought of Viv's lilac pajamas, he called back. It was a tight fit for Joe and myself in the musty walnut bed, but I should have slept soundly enough had it not been for thoughts of Bon Papa. I did not know whether it was that I was absurdly sensitive on the subject, but the fact remained that I couldn't bear to see a human skeleton flung about and treated as a joke. The skeleton was an excellent thing to teach one anatomy, but surely it ought to be treated with reverence even so. I had felt ashamed to say anything to the others, because I knew that nicer-minded people of finer and truer perceptions one could not wish to meet, and they seemed to feel no misgivings. It occurred to me that Peter had been very silent since the disrobing of Bonpapa, and I wondered if perhaps he shared my feelings. When I looked at a skeleton I could not help realizing how it had formed the core of a living body of flesh and blood and had been animated by a living soul, how it had lain down and risen up and walked the earth and been shaken by passions. And it seemed to me that the reverence due to a dead body belonged to this most essential and enduring part of it. At last thoughts of bon Papa and Chaz and Joe and Peter all flowed together in my brain, and I slept. I was awakened by a sound of clanking metal, and opening my eyes I peeped cautiously over the somnolent Joe. It was a cold grey morning, and through the flimsy muslin curtains I could see the steady glimmering downpour of the rain. The door was open and against it the form of chaz, clad in a burberry and a deerstalker cap, showed dark. He was engaged in emptying the bath, which Joe and I had used the preceding night, and he did so by the simple expedient of tipping it over the step into the yard. He then picked it up and noiselessly withdrew with it. About half an hour later he reappeared, this time with coffee, which he had made himself, and crisp new rolls. These he dealt out to Joe and me as we sat up in bed to receive them, and himself sat on the foot and ate his own breakfast. Did I not say, demanded Joe with justifiable pride, that he had all the domestic virtues? He certainly looked very nice as he sat there, his pleasant boyish face beaming with good nature and delight in his Josephine. He delighted also in my pajamas, though as I pointed out to him, the more exciting half was of necessity still hidden. He, Joe, and Chloe all went off to Colorossi's, and Peter and I pottered round Paris, ending up with half an hour in front of the new Rodin. And it was as we went back to the Rue d'Assas that Peter broke in on the subject of bon papa. It gave me a thrill of intense pleasure somehow to realize that Peter and I had felt the same about it. His ideas were so often more rarefied than mine, just as his nature was less prosaic and practical, that I sometimes recognized sadly that there were flights of his on which I could not hope to follow. We found we were the first to arrive home, and we went up the stairs to the large room under the roof that Chaz was using as a studio. There was no one there but Bon Papa, looming palely from a hook on which he had been hung. A lay figure crouched in a heap below him. For a moment he stood at gaze, then Peter caught my arm. The rugs, Viv, he ejaculated. What rugs? What do you mean? Why we're going by the rapide tonight. We'll take Bonpapa with us. We'll roll him up in our rugs and take him to Provence and give him decent burial on a clean windy mountainside. The rape of the skeleton, eh Viv? He unhooked Bonpapa as he spoke. But Peter, isn't it dishonest? It doesn't belong to us, but to Chaz." -"Belong!" snorted Peter. How can one human being belong to another? I thought you understood he was a human being. He belongs to himself, and he has a right to six feet of good country earth, and he shall have it. We'll pray for his soul over it. We rolled Bon Papa up in two coats and a rug, and strapped him round and when we had finished, Joe and Chloe came trooping in to take us out to dinner before seeing us off. Chaz hoped to get to the station, but wanted to put in half an hour or so at work. Hoping it was not Papa whom he wished to work at, we gathered that personage up, grasped our bags, and all set off for a restaurant. At the Gare de Lyon, there was no sign of Chaz, and Joe and Chloe bought us papers and installed us in a carriage with three fat Frenchmen and one thin Frenchwoman. Peter put Bonpapa on the rack. Oh, you will want your rug, said Joe. I think not, said Peter, and at the thought of unrolling Bonpapa before those comfortable-looking members of the bourgeoisie, I could not resist a gurgle of laughter. Just as the train was beginning to pull itself together, preparatory to departure, Chaz rushed up the platform. His hair was not so well brushed as usual, and his tie was disorganized. "'There you are, just in time to say goodbye to them,' cried Joe. Chaz only shrieked, "'Grandpapa! Grandpapa!' "'as he panted alongside the moving carriage. "'What about him?' we shrieked back hypocritically. "'He's gone, all by himself. "'Madame Bignon swears she hasn't touched him. "'And he's clean gone.' "'And so are we, thank goodness,' murmured Peter, "'as he sank back on the seat. "'All night long the train ran on through inundated country.' where the floods lay almost level with the rails, and the roofs of little houses peeped through it like strange fungi that had sprung up at a touch. All night long the water chuckled in the foot-warmers, and over the faces of the sleeping Frenchmen opposite the shadow of the swinging lamp-tassel passed back and forth like a ghostly pendulum. And all night I alternately slept and woke, with my head on Peter's shoulder, with his thin, strong arm round me, while Bonpapa lay rug-hidden in the rack. Next day we alighted at an insignificant little station between Antibes and Nice, and leaving our luggage to follow by diligence, we shouldered Bonpapa and a modest bag, and started on foot to go up to our destination a little walled town high in the mountains. Seeing a promising young path, we branched off among the olive terraces, and at last found a stretch of wilder hillside, where, in the sun, we buried Bonpapa beneath some myrtle bushes dislodged for the purpose, and then planted again. We piled small limestone crags round their roots and made a cross of them at his head, then said a prayer for his soul. But we never told Chaz or Joe or Chloe how it was that he had taken to himself wings and deserted the attic in the Rue d'Assas. End of chapter 29